right, welcome back to season four on the Hall Pass podcast. Thank you to the Admission Masters for sponsoring us. I'm your host again, Jenny Wheatley, and today I have with me Jay Park, Punkin Sharma, and Richard Kim. Hey guys. Hey, Hello. Hey there. So today we're going to do something a little bit special. Uh, we're going to be reviewing an article that was written by the CEO of College Board, David Coleman. Uh, he writes in The Atlantic, his piece titled, There's More to College Than Getting Into College, uh, which argues uh, for us to reassess the key factors that not just make a great college-bound student, but also enable students to succeed through college and beyond. Um, I think given the rising interest and growing intensity of how parents and students approach the college admissions process, whether that means, you know, getting more accolades or more, you know, uh, leadership experiences or positions, uh, we thought this would be an excellent feature on today's podcast to discuss what the head of college stands standardized testing had to say about where we are headed and what advice he offers to do college the quote unquote right way. So for those of you who want to actually go look at the article, we'll go ahead and link it to our website. Uh, you guys can just click on it and it'll take you right to um, the website. But if you also go to the Atlantic or just type in there's more to college than getting into college on Google by David Coleman, uh, it should pop up. Uh, it's one of the most recent articles that has been written on the Atlantic. Um, so just to dive into this, and I'm super excited to just kind of talk um, about this with my boys here today on yeah. the show. Um, and so there are three things that that David Coleman uh, talks about in his article. And um, well, there's three topics and three things that he says, you know, these are the things that we that he advice advises students to take advantage of as they look into their college experiences um, and how, you know, students and parents these days have kind of redefined what success looks like in a lot of ways. Um, but the three topics he talks about are finding great teachers, picking an activity or maybe two, and learning to love ideas even when it hurts. And so we're going to dive into these three topics today and what that actually means. I'm going to highlight some of the key kind of quotes that David Coleman has mentioned in this article. And I want my boys to just kind of talk about it and let us know, you know, what, what you guys think. So um, one of the quotes that really stood out to me when it comes to finding great teachers was, you know, he talks about how he asked hundreds of high school students what their college experience is going to be like. You know, what do you think will shape your success in college? And he says that a lot of those students, most of them, if not all of them, talk about which major they're going to choose, who their friends are going to be, what clubs they're going to join. But he says they never talk about, they never say that their most important decision will be who their professors are. In general, students are really just passive about seeking out great teaching. So I wanted to kind of open up the floor to my boys here and just say, you know, do you think this was the same for you? You know, what were your experiences like when you were in high school and how that transitioned to college? You know, were you guys also defining success as the activities that you were getting involved in, maybe the fraternities that you were in for some of you guys, right? So uh, I want to get started on yeah. this because when you ask, <clears throat> when the subject of great teachers come up, I immediately have a teacher that I have in mind. It's my 10th grade U.S. history teacher. Shout out. Mr. Antonor from Irvine High. Oh. Um, <clears throat> and. <laughs> Is he still there? Do you know? Yeah, I oh, think so. Okay. And he still has, um, I still have a lot of, he had like these mottos on his classroom wall, like the first person to raise his voice is the one who loses. Like these kinds of amazing, these insightful mm. things that he would teach despite it just being a U.S. history class. Make you think about things, huh? Exactly. And so what he would do is he would 
teach a subject, but then he would ask us questions about it. He'd have us engage in the discussions. Like if we were in that position in history, what would we do? Mm. And he also introduced me to a love for learning outside of the traditional classroom spectrum because <clears throat> some people might think of this as a cop-out as a teacher, but he actually would put on TV shows. And the particular TV show he got me really interested in was The West Wing. And so for those who are not aware, The West Wing is so, so, so... Political. Political. <laughs> and it talks about, you know, the whole processes of the executive branch and how it deals with the legislative, mm -hmm. with the uh, president. I think Martin, he plays... Um, I just remember him being so passionate about teaching. You know, there's those monotone teachers, those are teachers who just do the run of the mill, but man, this guy, he would roll up his sleeves literally mm. and sit down in front of the class, in front of his desk, just like pull up a chair right in front and he'd start hosting conversations. And mm. that was the moment I realized, despite my Asian-ness, like, it, you know, all the way up until that You're point. You're Asian? I know. It's like what? three hours of Kumon every day. It wasn't enjoyable. My <laughs> name is Jay. My yeah. Asian name yeah, is Jay. Yeah, yeah. You're not Sorry, Asian. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but like I'm saying, um, it was the very first time that I enjoyed learning. He made me want to learn more. Yeah. And when you have teachers like those, when you compare them to the rest, it becomes very stark. Um, I guess the, the question I want to pose for myself is, was I just lucky in that sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, so I'm hearing your story, okay. and um, this I can relate to a lot of that also in a very in a lot of similar ways. But if you look at the way I see it, so you were talking about a high school teacher, right? And sometimes you can't pick your high school teachers; right. they are who they are. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what the article in the Atlantic illustrates are college teachers and college professors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But just going back to your high school, so were you lucky in getting that teacher most likely yes mm -hmm. because you couldn't pick them you mm -hmm. kind of had it if you look at all the high school teachers you're ever going to get every year i see it always as a bell curve you're going to get one or two great ones on the on the top end of the curve that mm -hmm. are awesome engaging conversationalist kind of teachers mm -hmm. you're going to get one or two you know maybe really bad ones that are just there going through the motions getting, try, you got to try to get a grade and figure them out mm -hmm. and then you're going to get the the average teacher they're going to convey knowledge and you know they're going to be running the you know like your average teachers in whatever subject yeah. matter um, so you gotta, you gotta know that, uh, as a student in high school that you're going to get some bad ones, but you still got to perform. You still got to have output. You still got to uh, do well on the test and everything like that. You're going to mm -hmm. have great ones that are going to unlock that light bulb in your head and mm -hmm. make you more curious. Um, but transitioning to college, um, I didn't get, I didn't seek out like what, what, the what is his name? Coleman, mm -hmm. David Coleman. What he's talking about in the article is actually hunting for these teachers mm -hmm. that did what Jay just mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, and take you to these places that of thought where you never met. I didn't do that until like maybe senior year in college. Yeah. You know, when the classes got smaller, it was like more like I was going through the motions trying to figure college out. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you learn a lot more about the good professors as you move through your college career. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, there's, even like websites like ratemyprofessor.com yeah. or, if you're, or if, you're if you're UCLA, UCLA Bruin Walk. Yeah. Bruin Walk. Yeah. You talk, start so, talking to people, right? And so you talk to yeah. people. Yeah. Exactly. And so you meet a lot of the same people who are just within your major or just within um, taking the same classes as you. And from there, you can start deciding on, you know, which professors you feel like will be a good fit. I feel like yeah. some people try to take advantage of that, though, because they just look for the easy professors, right. the right. ones that don't grade you and very yeah, much. Yeah. When you ask the question, like, and same thing, like the first teachers that popped into my head the great teachers are the, are my harder ones the ones that kept me accountable yeah, the ones yeah, that yeah. kept me to think more and more yeah. the easy ones I, ca I can't even remember a lot of them 
That's you interesting. Know? Yeah, I feel the same. I remember the ones that challenged me, which is like I don't know if it's just like the way I was made up. I don't know, but I, I remember it though like... because it was so stressful. Like when you have those professors, mm-hmm. like there are those who challenge you, and I think like I've had definitely a few professors like that, but I've had some professors that have been um, irrationally difficult, <laughs> where they will give out out of a class of like three hundred, will give out like three or four A's. So yeah. when I'm taking it from a parent's perspective, whether it's teaching in high school to make it more relevant to our, our audience versus teaching in uh, a university as a professor, I think parents have a kind of a dichotomy here. On the left-hand side, there's what's the easiest A? Because at the end of the day, the results do matter, yeah. right? But that type of A, if you really think about it, is more focused on the short-term gain. On the other side of the dichotomy, there's what's the, what's the type, what's the teacher, who's the teacher that's going to, help my student grow the most. Or it's give you a meaningful... And give you meaningful education yeah, 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 and development, yeah. not just a bare bone shape your child's yeah. mindset for lifelong learning. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so while you may take a hit and you may get a B and C in your junior year, yeah. right? So do you see how that becomes the question? Yeah. As a parent, how do you straddle the line between... So as a parent, I would, I would take that... That's a very important concept you're bringing up, Jay, and it's getting very philosophical. I would want my sons and my son, my daughters and sons, uh, son to, um, sons, <laughs> oh, sons. Whoa. Mona, Mona, congratulations. I don't know where that came from, but anyways, I would want them to experience those kind of things early on, meaning middle school, even elementary school, like to start failing in things or, or getting challenged because then, yeah, you're right. The short-term gains of sophomore year, junior year, senior year matter. Yeah. For yeah, right. yeah. And so the earlier you can get that going, um, you, you said yours was AP U.S. history teacher, right? Well, it wasn't. It was a regular U.S. But <laughs> let's not talk. I'm, 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 he didn't make it to AP. His, mom, you his said, mom's still proud of him. Well, his said, mom is still you proud. You said you were Asian. Tenth, tenth grade. So back oh, okay. Yeah, it's okay. Can we not? Can we move on from sensitive subject for you? Sensitive? I mean, I could have taken AP Euro, but come on, Jay. He was interested in U.S. history. The point is that you know freshman year, where it doesn't matter on college applications for the most part. Um, that's where you can get these teachers that may give two or three A's, but will shape your mindset. So you know, you've, you've made a judgment call here. You're saying let's let's allow the, our students to make mistakes in elementary and middle school, but in high school in a heartbeat. Okay, as but long in, as the teacher is great and tough and hard. Okay, uh, and makes and challenges them and makes them think differently or mm-hmm. or out of but their in comfort high zone. School. In high, high school, school. just <laughs> smooth sailing. Yeah. You get the, the easiest teacher. The trick is, I hope you don't get that out of balance. Meaning, like, I hope you don't discourage or un- not unmotivate. Well, I think, and I, I feel think. like that's what this guy's hitting on, right? Yeah. That, like, yeah. you know, what this what should guy, our this know, guy just the president, you know, just the CEO, CEO college board? He's saying, you know, we should we should find these great teachers. It's everything is so results oriented when you're thinking about getting into colleges. Yeah, and a big part of that is getting A's in your classes, and so. Honestly, like a lot of our students probably just want to take the easy way out. If there's a great English teacher who will really thoroughly prepare you for the AP exam, but is not going to give out a lot of A's. And there's another AP laying teacher who's, you know, going to give out a lot of easy A's, but won't prepare you as thoroughly, won't challenge you as much. Then where do you lean? Find like, that, what yeah, you, yeah. What should you be aiming I think for? It, I think it's a mindset issue too, I think. And, I, and, and I'm going to pull up this quote just because it, it, he says, you know, David, this guy, this guy, David Coleman, he this says... Guy. 
<laughs> he says, finding great teachers and insisting on learning from them is a form of resistance. You must push the rules and the system. One of the most misleading things we say in education is that a good school will give you an excellent education. A great education is never given. It is taken. Mm. And I think, you know, Oof. the reason why I love this quote and, and that, you know, I think it's a mindset issue is that even students who are like, I'm going to an Ivy League, I go to top 25, top 20, top 30 school, like I'm going to get a great education. And I think what he's trying to say is that it's not a matter of the school that you go to that that guarantees you an excellent education. It's the mindset that you have when you're going to school, right? Like, what are you doing to make sure that you're getting that great education, proactively seeking professors who are going to push you or not, right? Um, but going back to this whole like idea of like, okay, should we get easy teachers in high school or should we not? Like, what does that even look like? I really think that even when I look back on my high school years, the great teachers were always the ones that were challenging and never gave the easiest A's, but just made the class more feasible and understandable because of the way they taught. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think I think it's not that their classes were easier or their tests were easier. To me, I think it was they just taught so well that they made the concepts really understandable, which therefore made me get naturally get a good grade in the class. And I think like those are the teachers that are probably harder to find, right? Mm. The best case scenario is let's get that A and have a great teacher, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. <laughs> right, right. You can, you can have a teacher who is, you know, challenging and you can still get an A in that class. Yeah. I think that's definitely doable. But that, and that's the thing. I think if the, the teacher is challenging and, and pushes you and, and holds you accountable because they have, they have a feeling that there's something in you that can deliver on this. Yeah. And then if you actually join them on that journey and you pull off an A, that's what makes it memorable. That's yeah. what makes those teachers memorable to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Is that, wow, I actually kind of did, I hate this class. I never knew a lot about this class and I had no interest in it, but yeah. I found interest in it. It's going to be so yeah. much more rewarding. When yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is. So I think the, the follow-up question to this that I think parents will ask or students will ask is like, well, what if I'm not really proactive? What if I'm not that type that, you know, is going to go out and seek this or seek that, or, you know, look for teachers or, you know, or, or I don't know, like what, 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 what if I'm a high school student now and I'm not proactive? I have a very frictional and very, um, strong. Do it side about this. do it all right so you know we have mbti's personality exams introvert extrovert this is essentially what it boils down to i'm an introvert so i don't feel comfortable being proactive and going out and engaging like that it's just who i am i have a very hard line stance on that and it is well then if that's who you are that's who you'll stay the rest of your life mm -hmm. right um, I hope you realize that, you know, fourth industrial wave is here. We've got the automation coming in, AI coming in. Our job sector, industry market is all changing. Mm -hmm. And it's switching to be more of a service-based economy where you have to be interactive. You have to be collaborative in society today. Mm -hmm. And so you're when you, when you identify yourself and label yourself into this box of being an introvert, let's be clear here. Being an introvert is fine, but an introvert is not mutually exclusive to being able to flex your other side yeah, to be absolutely. proactive when it's needed. Yeah. So I've noticed a lot of parents especially acknowledging that their kid is shy or something of that sort yeah. and allowing that to be their identity. Yeah. And so I have two words to that. Bad idea. <laughs> I like the dramatic nice, pause, Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Bad idea. 
Yeah, I think I think proactivity is something that, um, you know, in in a world where we need people to be successful or not need people to be successful in a world where success is defined by, you know, your capability to overcome challenges and like all of these things that, you know, you'll have to navigate throughout your high school journey and beyond requires a level of proactivity. Right. And I think that is in and of of itself what Jay said two words well bad idea but also like I think for for what we think is proactivity is something that you need to foster and it's something that you need to have um you know and 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 it could show in so many forms some people proactivity is like going up to someone in the street and talking to them for some people it's writing a simple email but like really proactivity is is your ability to be productive in terms of gaining um or overcoming you know your challenges and being resilient and adaptable and acclimating to the adjustments that are happening right in life so you just yeah. gotta you you have to put yourself out there because out of all four of us, I think I'm literally the, the only mo- yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and so I I I know exactly what you know a lot of these students are experiencing because in high school I didn't want to do any of that either yeah but I knew I had to and I knew you know if I wanted to get into a good school it would be necessary for me to talk with my professors and sometimes it didn't work out well and sometimes it was awkward but I did it. And the more I did it, the easier it became. Mm, it's a skill that I you have to that. develop. Yeah. And it's not, it's not always comfortable, but growth doesn't ha- happen Overnight. in your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's best if it just comes from within. And you, you're illustrating it comes, it eventually has to come. Yeah. If you want to be a productive member of society, yeah. whether either in college or graduate school yeah. or career-wise, yeah. you, there's like a baseline level of skills yeah. that you have to flex to. That's exactly and, right. You know, instead of take, what is that one book? Take The Road Less Travel, just take the road that's harder. You know? <laughs> Just tell yourself that. Like exactly what Jay said, you know, like flex to the other. Yeah. Um, flex to uh, your challenges. But the ability to recognize that individually, like in middle school or mm, elementary school. That's hard. That's hard. Yeah. But the, the hope for a student or for a parent of kids would be that they can start recognizing that earlier on. Yeah. Because then they just, you're just going to have to learn it eventually anyways. Yeah. yeah. You know, the way I see it. Fixed mindset versus growth mindset. I think that's And we have a is. podcast about that. So if you guys want to check that out. Um, okay. So the other thing that he talks about this guy, David Coleman, um, he mm-hmm. talks about picking an activity this or guy. maybe two. And he says in parentheses um, or maybe two. Um, and so what he talks about in the beginning is that, you know, what research has shown, especially when College Board kind of reviewed some of these studies um, to find what factors predict success or what factors that pre- most predict success um, beyond grades and test scores, the factor that most predicts college predicts college success is follow through. Um, And so what he means by follow through is a sustained effort and growth in one or two extracurricular activities while in high school. Students who devote themselves to an activity are more likely, he says, to succeed later in areas such as campus leadership and independent accomplishment. So I think, you know, a lot of parents and students like Here's what I think is the biggest issue when it comes to parenting and the disconnect between parent and student. It's when a parent says, you need leadership. You, if you want to go to a good college, you need to be a president. You need to be vice president. You don't, if you want to go to a good college and you don't have a leadership, you can't go. Check mark, check mark, check mark. Right. And when we start, when we start itemizing these things as part of a list of to-dos and not this conversation of, hey, you know, 
the only way that you are going to be successful, one of the only ways that you're going to be successful when you go to college, little David, is if you, well, not this David, but like <laughs> little, li- little, little J, little J, this guy, okay. oh, little J, yeah, little this J guy, who little J, went J. into AP Euro, little J, U.S. Universe. history, um, tenth grade. Yeah. Uh, the only way, Jay, that you are going to be successful when you go to college, and really, you know, research has shown that you need to put yourself out there to have leadership positions. No, it's not about itemizing and saying. Okay, how many leadership positions do you have? You have four, you have five. Okay, it's time to go to Harvard. Like, it doesn't work like that. There's a reason why colleges want to see leadership on your application. It's beyond the fact that it's just a list of accomplishments. There's a reason. And it's because that they have seen time and time again, the students who come to their college that are the most successful have shown a level of dedication in high school, period. Agreed. And I, that's the conversation that parents need to have with students, that it's about their personal growth. It's not... I think that's where parents need to understand that the conversations that you have to have with your students is not about check marking or a list. It's about how that reflects who they are outside of high school, beyond. So I want to put this into a high school application lens. Uh, but before I dive into that, you know, I really like this guy. Coleman, because <laughs> if you really think about it, I, I'm very data centric, right? Subreddit data. Mr. Coleman, by the way, we love you. You're fantastic. Awesome. Article, yeah, yeah, articles yeah, amazing. Just really great. But he's at the thanks, very thanks head. to the Atlantic for putting it out. Great, yeah, great yeah. Article. Shout out to the Atlantic. He has a eagle eye view of just the raw data of what's happening to the U.S. high school to college admissions mm, process, and yeah. I would love to be able to pick his mind into this. But when it comes to the high school point of view, what he's trying to say, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm translating this. He prefers that students are particularly good at one or two activities rather than being a spread out and team captain president of five to ten activities. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a general statement, you don't want to be spread too thin. That's a common term, right? You mm-hmm. want to have quality versus quantity. Those are common things, right? But mm-hmm. I think what he's saying is not that specifically. He's saying you should maybe be have a core one, two, three things. Mm. Core. Yeah. Like make that part of your core that you're dedicated to, you're passionate about. Maybe you have a passion in there, but otherwise why would you be there? And you're, you're a leader in it. Yeah. But then also then you, there's other things you can dabble in. You're a high school student. You're a child for goodness sake. Yeah. So you can dabble in the sports so, extracurricular. But don't don't make it forced is I think what he's trying to say. Don't make that forced. Like you have to okay. fill out all 10, 10 spots on an extracurricular check, checklist sheet. Yeah. sheet you know? let me, make let sure me, the passions come out on the, the core one to two. So let me ask a question to you there. Like he's talking about being really invested into one or two, how does that translate quantifiably into like the years committed? Do you have to begin, like if you started in ninth grade, there's mm. a conventional wisdom, like you got to continue all the way through with that. Mm. Um, I think you brought up uh, MIT as a good example here, but what's your opinions on that? Yeah, I think I think uh, I just I want to be aligned with what Punkage and Jay are saying. You know, I think what Coleman uh, was saying in this his guy. article, this guy Coleman, he said, you know, long lists cultivate busy mediocrity rather than sustained excellence. To get into college or to earn scholarships, it is much more effective to be very good at a small set of things than to check off a long list. So, like we talked about MIT earlier when we were kind of reading this article, article and debriefing, and so for MIT for for parents who are like really worried. I think Jay mentioned that he had a meeting with a parent the other day and he was like, you know, my daughter's in ninth grade and she just doesn't know what she wants to major in. She's like trying so many different things. She's like has like 12 activities that I right. just don't know. You know, we're, we're failing. 
Like we're failing yeah, no, at that's love, what, right? That's what they oh, said. Oh, and man. so, and so, we Jay wasted was like, a year. year. We wasted a year. Oh man! And I think this a ninth is grader? a ninth, ninth grader. grader. Oh my! And so, and so, you know, I think what what MIT is saying, and for those of you who don't know, MIT has a separate application. It's not a part of the Common App. MIT has its own application, and unlike the Common App, MIT only has four spaces for extracurricular activities. Four. The Common App has ten. The UCs have fifteen. Right. That includes work experience, but I'll mm -hmm. count that as extracurricular for now. Mm -hmm. And so MIT has four spaces for extracurricular activities, and they're saying, hey, we're going to base a student's capability when it comes to dedication and commitment and leadership by just looking at four activities and not 10, because in the eyes of MIT admissions, that's number one, more, more realistic. And number two, they said ninth grade is a safe harbor. It is a year to change your mind, to try different things without regard to your track record. And so for parents who are like, we're in ninth grade, we're behind you, you don't know any of your activities, like we don't know what you're doing, like you suck, our life is over, <laughs> right? Like, don't worry because ninth grade is a transitional year. Mm-hmm. You're going from middle school to high school, your child is, and your student is experiencing an opportunity of exploration. And that really is what freshman year should be about. And we talk about this in a lot of our podcasts, right? We say ninth grade, take the time to explore, explore the things you love, explore the things you hate, because you might find love for the things you hate and you might find hate for the things you love, right? And I think that's all of the, all of part Ex of freshman year. Explore the things you love to hate. Yeah. Love and and hate, hate to love, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think I think those are all Flat. things that <laughs> oh that we should consider. And so to that parent that Jay was talking to, I think yeah. the biggest thing is no, your your life's not over. Your child is doing what they can to find the things that they love I to do. I think what parents worry about, and those are awesome points that Jenny just brought up, is that when you're going down a path of an extracurricular ninth grade, and then you're in this moment of exploration is the change really valid you know so is it like something that yeah i've just as a as a, as a student i've found something just different a different passion yeah. if it's whimsical change you know what you got to hedge against are just being whimsical and moving around from one activity to the next mm -hmm. and that's what as parents you should look for yeah you, know, you, you want your your son or daughter to be you know dedicated to something yeah and not just but if it's deep and if there's a passion change right. then yeah then this is the moment to do it right you know yeah, like, you're not gonna year. be dinged on your college exactly application for something like that yeah uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I think the other thing that uh, David Coleman mentioned in his article, which I absolutely love this quote so much. I, there's a lot of quotes in this article that I love, but he says how, you know, in in this world right today, our, a lot of our high school students are very overscheduled. They're they're very overscheduled. So it's really hard for them to explore just one activity, whether that's a sport, a musical instrument or anything else that's worth doing in any depth, because they just have to do so much. Right. And so the key is to challenge, the key challenge for our young people is not to master more activities, but to learn that mastery requires doing one thing at a time. And I think Jay mentioned earlier to me, he's like, well, I kind of disagree because like, you know, you can master multiple things at once if you're really passionate about it. And I think that's a really good point, Jay. I think, you know, you can, but I think what David Coleman, the essence of what he's trying to say here is that. You can't do 10 things and say, you know, I'm going to master all 10 of these things. What what Punkage said earlier was like finding that passion and following that passion takes dedication and depth and drive. And I think that's the focus that, you know, we want our young young people to take. So let me put this in the application lens. Um, 
when you apply for colleges, you're going to be asked uh, a major choice. And I feel like that major choice is something that is pretty revealing because if you look at most of the top 20 ranked schools on U.S. News, some of them will have a breakdown of what concentration or major choice they chose when they applied. Mm-hmm. And consistently of top 20s, undecided is the smallest acceptance percentage. Mm-hmm. So when I think of undecided, the quintessential notion of that is a student that's arguably, you know, academically competent, capable of passing the qualifications, but they're kind of the jack of all trades. Right. They're really Dabbled all around in the a place. lot of things. They don't have something particular or specific that they bring to the table. Yeah. That a particular interest or concentration in biology or being very excelling in performing arts, let's say with the cello. Yeah. Um, so if parents are trying to grapple this and apply this to helping their son or daughter plan for their high school career, I would argue that do everything all around it, create that platform. But if you want to stand out for top 20 schools, you have to have an edge. You find, have to have something you bring to the table. Yeah, find but the it, spike. It's not hard to find a major because you can find interdisciplinary majors, majors that cross over, yeah. they're pretty vague. You yeah. know, they, like, like you said, they're concentrations. They're not focused on just the major major. Yeah. So even if you have the choice of being undecided, which I, I completely get with students, I completely get why people want to be undecided because mm-hmm. they're still not, they're not, they're not 100% sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they're going to figure that out freshman year in college or sophomore year in college or whatever. But that's, so here's my argument. I'm not, I'm saying for most schools, that's not enough. Like we hear you, but what did you try? Right. Yeah. So it's the attempt to dive deeper that is lacking in many of the undecided yeah, students, yeah, which yeah, yeah. becomes distasteful for a lot of the top tiers. Cause yeah, Everything we mentioned, when you deep dive, you you naturally exhibit these kinds of qualities that we look for as admission officers. I wonder right. if, why that admission rate is so low for undecided. Is it because that poses to be a risky student in the sense that they can float from department to department or school to school? I, I wouldn't mean, consider that a risk factor. I would say it's probably because they don't show a lot of vision in terms of what they want to do in the future. Mm-hmm. So when you have a student who knows that they want to pursue environmental science and you see their passion for it on their activities that is very appealing to me. Whereas I'm sure a lot of undecided students just have no idea what they want to do. And looking at their, their application, there's no direction. Being they don't see, thin, seem yeah. proactive, they right? Don't seem proactive. A lot, yeah, they don't seem like they're ways. taking the initiative to do things. And that is the most unappealing thing that I would see if I was in the mission. And officer. we do want to say that there are successful uh, undecided applicants. Like there are students who get accepted as undecided. For sure. Was it 5.9% at Harvard? <laughs> smallest i think it's the small yeah it's the smallest yeah yeah because but but i mean i think i think there are students who can do that i think it's just a matter of what that looks on like paper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the last point that david coleman brings out like i mentioned earlier was to learn to love ideas even when it hurts and honestly this is like my favorite favorite section thank you um if you i just i i i want everyone to really read that section just because it's it's so it's so it's so well written but also just very interesting um so the first thing he kind of mentioned is that the luckiest people in life develop enduring fascinations and spend time honing their skills and learning new ones but really what i want to highlight here is that they experience regularly the internal satisfaction that arises from encountering new ideas what does this mean i think for for me um it 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 means that they're putting themselves out there and they're they are they are passionate about gaining new knowledge when i think about my students who got accepted to stanford and harvard and all these great schools this year they have this general very intrinsic desire to learn they love learning even the things they don't immediately like 
right? Mm-hmm. And this this entire section talks about what what happens when you define a student as a math student or an English student. And it also talks about like, well, what what if you go into something you're like, I hate math. Well, what do you do? Because I think Jay told, mentioned to me earlier, he's like, well, that's what a lot of parents do nowadays. They're like, oh, he, he hates math, so he can't be a STEM student. We immediately neglect them, uh, their capabilities to become a STEM student because they don't like math. And it's in eighth grade. They, mm-hmm. Somehow it's ordained. Even though math is one letter in STEM. Wow. <laughs> oh. Slow clap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Slow clap for that Man, one. Just, just de- really delivering good. it today. Really it's rough, dude. It's a rough, <laughs> rough crowd. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about this notion? I mean, punkage for you. You're you're a dad. Like mm-hmm. you, you know. I'm sure you see what your kids like or don't like, or you see when your kids like everything, or mm-hmm. when you know, like what what does this look like for you? Yeah. You know, I'm going back to all the different um, themes in uh, this guy's Coleman's uh, <laughs> essay or, or or article. And it goes back to, you know, even the first teachers that challenged me. I remember my AP calculus teacher, um, uh, Mr. Alcosser, Dalmar High School. Shout out. Shout just, out. Just, just mm-hmm. Is he through, still there? Uh, he was retired, I think, but lives in the area. Makes I, sense because you're, you're I, almost retired. Yeah, too, right? I'm, I'm too old. And I saw him, <laughs> at, I saw, I saw him at Rubio's. Penny, Penny. But anyways, um, loves. <laughs> just kidding. He just everyone. Punkage is super young. Punkage is super young. Yeah, he He's just got a really young awesome. haircut. No, I'm, He's I'm, amazing. Put this way, I'm closer yeah. to AARP no. than I am to <laughs> getting into a bar, okay? Um, but anyways, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he presented math. I was. I never considered myself a math person, mm-hmm. but he, he presented in such a way, as Jay was mentioning, just the concepts in a new way, relatable, uh, explaining how math, which is a bunch of equations before that in my life, but how it just could be pertained to life, mm-hmm. pertained to the world. And mm-hmm. he, he would show video clips and he would the just- The application. Yeah, the application. Of, yeah. he would just, it was like applied mathematics. And I'm like, okay, applied math. This makes complete sense to me. Light bulbs went off and yeah. I enjoyed it. And he, but he did it in a way that was unique and different, not just math problems. And I'm like, okay. And I did- you know which was math which was always challenging for me and i had to work hard at it just right. kind of became simple and it was like weird wow so i mean like i, I think he it goes made back the connection yeah it goes you, back yeah. to from as a parent of three kids you know it's just i want those teachers out there that are unique and different that can just present things in a way that and, and it's hard because you have a classroom full of 30 students or 35 mm-hmm. students and they Underpaid. all are, they all have different perspectives all the students can learn in different yeah, ways yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the challenge yeah and true. finding yeah. a good teacher no, i mean yeah. that's like teaching is tough that's like a, that's teaching like is tough. It's, it's a very tough profession yeah um but they're out there and, and these teachers are out there i know they're dedicated and they work hard um but that's that's what i look for as a parent so for the parents um uh, jenny mentioned this earlier like for the love just please try your best to be aware and cognizant of how you praise or how you criticize your son or daughter Mm -hmm. so if you talk to others saying hey my son is not good at math or they'll say hey my son is a great writer Mm. right that itself may sound like you're giving good positive praise Mm -hmm. but there's a flip side to that notion so i want to give my example you know so my mom would often come to me and say you're going to be so great right you you're going to be so you are so smart and when that's kind of inoculated into my mind, whenever I run into a hurdle, whenever I make a mistake or I don't get the A in the test, I have this discrepancy in my mind. Mm. And I realize now in that retrospect, I wouldn't, I, I wasn't, I don't now at that point have the tools to rectify that. Mm-hmm. It's just, I didn't meet my label. Mm. I didn't meet my identity. Mm. And so that's, when usually you resort to blaming 
making excuses, right? And so you even... Mean, you, you mean blaming, and this is a very important point you're bringing up, right. very important, but you mean blaming making excuses other than yourself? Precisely. Yeah. Because, I because want, I'm smart. supposed to be great. He's great. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be smart. But yeah. you would know yourself if you worked hard at something or not. No, but, but that's, that's the point. That's how parents don't talk about it with their kids. Like, we don't praise effort enough, exactly. right? Exactly. We, pra- we praise and we give them an identity and say, you're great at math. But mm-hmm. we don't ever say, the effort that you put on that test, like, because you studied so hard, that's exactly. what made you so great mm-hmm. at math. So right? when you come home, think about it. The most yeah. quintessential scenarios. You got an A on the test. Good job. Mm-hmm. You got the A. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not, oh, I saw you work so mm-hmm. hard last yeah, night yeah, to yeah, get yeah. that A. We don't praise the effort. Yeah. You see the difference I love there. that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And so that. sometimes even giving praise can be a trap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, we talk about this all the time. Growth mindset. Yeah, mindset. yeah, yeah. Just I, I, I can't stress enough how many times I do an initial meeting. And one of the first things the mom almost has to capitulate, like reveal, like mm-hmm. my son is good at English, but not good at math. Mm. And the kid is sitting right in front of mm-hmm. us as she's saying mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. That is a very good point. Yeah, because, you know, David Coleman says difficulty can be the starting point of love rather than a signal to abandon the subject matter entirely. And I think that's kind of the difference, right? Like people say, oh, I suck at that or I'm, I'm bad at that. I hate it. And that's why they stay away from it. But really, that could be a beginning to actually falling in love with something. Uh, and we need to we need to foster that. So mm-hmm. to say I hate math is to say that you retreated it too quickly, right? Mm-hmm. To say I hate something is to say I tried or I kind of tried, don't like it. See ya, right? But he's saying like, love takes hard work. Mm-hmm. It, it, love it, takes <laughs> effort. Yes, and another good point he brings up, and I'm seeing some of his quotes here from the article that it's okay to not like something. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but you got to move from that. Yeah, you got to move beyond that into yeah. then, and I and I can. That's a completely relatable phrase that he had in there, just in life, in life. I mean, I, I remember, I vividly remember that some of the most important projects in my life, from a career standpoint, are the ones I didn't like at first. I'm yeah. like, man, why am I getting assigned this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. really don't want to do yeah. this. And I'd kind of put up an internal struggle within myself, yeah. but then I'd embrace it and right. I'd say, okay, now what do we have to do to get the job done? What do we have to do to move forward from it? And mm-hmm. and, and the journey uh, really was like amazing, like a one-year project. Yeah. And then you got it done and you look back, you're like, man, that was pretty awesome. I learned something about myself. I learned something about this company, yeah. about, about this industry. You know, yeah. you learn something and you yeah. grow from that. And so I, it's a, I think that that point he says, what do you say? He says, uh, you can have a distaste for something, but you got to move beyond that really yeah. quickly. You know? yeah. What if you never moved beyond it? And you just hate something, then you're a hater. <laughs> haterade <laughs> no, well, no 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 that... you like like you you want to love math and i think what he's kind of saying here is that it's, it's okay and learning can hurt and it's often painful but at a certain point if you don't like math seek out a better teacher or practice harder mm-hmm. find a connection to something else that interests you but what if you do those things and you're actively so seeking to like math but you just don't like it is yeah. in the college aspect you have because now you're a young man young woman right you have some autonomy you don't have to take the classes that are forced upon you. You can you can search for not calculus, but you can search for biostatistics. You can search for financial, uh, whatever calculus and uh, mm-hmm. merging economic mm-hmm. economies. You know, places where math is applied. It's not really called math, but you can now use it in places where you know whether it's sports medicine yeah. or yeah. physiology. So there will be places like, where yeah. you just don't like. Yeah, it. 
yeah and there'll be places that you do i think i think for what punkage is saying is that like in high school you're very limited to ap calc ab ap calc bc and ap statistics some colleges i mean some high schools will have like linear algebra or like multivariable calculus but for the most part when you get to college you'll get to seek out these opportunities like don't just dismiss math until you get to try different mm-hmm. types of math in that form and it's just an example if you don't for like math. european history or u.s history take art history yeah but there there are going to be times that you don't like those courses and that's fine i think that's fine but i think what he's trying to say that college just has so many courses you've seen those course books Mm -hmm. and those major books i mean you'll find something i want to go further i have a hard stance on this too Mm -hmm. okay i want to go further than that and say because i i I put this test upon myself and i ask myself is there still a subject or some form of learning experience that i hate Mm. my answer is no i don't Mm. right and i'm not trying to be mr buddha here or something but i feel like or panda or panda you really like panda panda yeah uh, <laughs> let's talk about hey those are my internal okay sorry uh, that's on my you know sorry, Jay. that's awesome you brought up sorry. buddha so i'm thinking you know he wants awesome. us to get to this transcendent <laughs> level i'm going to keep the allegory going there you go so to reach that transcendent level of learning and he mentions this right that uh what was it they, ex- they regulate they experience internal satisfaction that arises from encountering mm-hmm. new ideas mm-hmm. if you are finding you're trying and trying and trying and you just can't like something you can't hate something at least try to appreciate it. Mm. Because my argument is this, if you hate something, you're not willing to engage in it. And if you're not willing to engage in it, you don't recognize that this world is highly interwoven. That if you learn sociology, it can impact how you write. Mm. That if you're a STEM major, it can impact your philosophy. Mm. So there's so many of these interconnections and I would argue they're all interconnected. So the true transcendent form of learning is that you love to at least so learn amazing. everything. You know, this reminds me of Jay. It's so amazing. Remember when I he, mean, remember, I just. This remember we used so to come fantastic. here, we used to talk about basketball, Lakers, and sports and baseball, and Jay would just tune out. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't, I don't believe in competitive sports. Oh my God, I don't that's like, such no, 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 a no, no, good no. example. We, then, that's such yeah, a good example. And then Jay, example. Then Jay came oh around God. and I'm like, how could you not such like sports? Such a good sports? example. Yeah, but he started dabbling into it. He started and finding now, something that yeah. he appreciates about sports. Jay, <laughs> that's, that's the out, Jay, perfect but, example. Well, okay, let, me, let, me, let me clarify. I didn't, oh I, didn't say, I didn't say that sports was, what did you say? The, you said it was like just yeah, I, no, 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 brute no. men like, yeah. wrestling with each no, other. No, no, no. There was a time where you believed that. Yeah, but no, no, no. Yeah, uh, let me clarify yeah. the belief. My clear and, and put it into the the story. <laughs> you know how hard rigid you were back then. <laughs> right. I was. I was. No, no, no. I was not. It, I didn't appreciate sports as much as I should have. That much I can admit. Yeah. Because I was so upset of how much in terms of as a society, this was more of a socioeconomic mm. type of thing, that we're spending $700 million on a Galvatron in some stadium in Texas when we spent $69 million to go to the moon mm-hmm. or to, to you know send Cassini to space. So I'm looking at it from like a cost and benefit And less than $5 million on education. Right. You want to go to Mars, <laughs> you want to go... Uh, well, I, I think yeah. there are bigger priorities right. for society than seeing people throw a cylindrical something through a hoop, you know, like, <laughs> or spherical something. You know, like yeah. aliens will come one day but and they'll look at us <laughs> and be like, huh, they spent a significant amount of their time and capital taking the spherical ball and putting it through this cylindrical, hmm, fascinating, right? <laughs> but that's, they have but, world but that's what makes us human. Still entertainment, like, right. you value entertainment. Now I understand it. Yes. I'd like, I've, cause I'm, I, you know, the NBA is a fascinating, if you want to get involved in sports, now is a great time for the NBA because it's all a hustle now. It's so unpredictable and you start to see why people are so into it. Three years ago, I would have been like, why are you interested in this? Mm-hmm. This is so irrelevant to the advancement of mankind, mm-hmm. right? But then I look back and I think there is in itself a humanity to experiencing this, mm-hmm. right? And I've learned There's to appreciate that. There's a drama to it. 
There's right. a drama to it. But what? So what I'm curious about. Okay, so I, you explained your before and after. Again, sure, that's sure, all sure. Fine. But what got you to go well, dip well, your feet into that pool? Um, that that's the thing because you were really rigid about it. I was like, wow, I can't even talk to you about like anything magic no, no, or whatever, <laughs> you know? but you got into it now i can talk to you freely you know honestly it's it. my friends okay it's my friends mm. um not you guys the social connection <laughs> <laughs> interwoven society wow. Wow. I, have a, I have a i have a buddy his name's matt shout out and matt shout out matt he's super into basketball so we would have these happy hours you know because for yard house we'd go i'd go there for the drinks oh you'd, you'd have to go soon it's okay but yeah um i want to listen to the matt story i wanted to <laughs> i wanted to understand why he was so passionate about it and so slowly i la- like allowed him to explain it to me I have this philosophy, always try things twice. I think I got it from Anthony Bourdain or something, like a food critic who goes around the world to travel. Mm-hmm. You should at least try something twice, mm-hmm. right? The first time, because awesome. we will naturally have an, a reaction. It's just biological, yeah. hereditary, that yeah. when it's something strange or foreign, we're going to be averse to it. Yeah. But then it's overcoming that biological mechanism, right? Yeah. That allows you to become transcendent. That's yeah. what he says. He says, yeah, yeah, seek yeah. out a better teacher. So Matt was your better teacher that taught wow, you. Wow, yeah. I don't, so, so, okay, let me clarify that. I don't <laughs> think necessarily it's a better teacher in that sense. It's allowing myself to try to like something I did not like. And, Looking and for reasons to like something. Yeah, yeah. Not hate something. So so, so just to close out here for, for Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. David here. Hmm, Mr. Guy. David Coleman, that, that guy. guy. Um, I think, you know, he says that a real love of ideas begins when students stop doing only what they are good at and realize that through practice, they can discover new worlds of understanding and joy. So when you don't like something, don't dismiss it. Find opportunities to find that connection, whether that be Jay with basketball or you with math. with math. Yeah. And so, you know, anything. he, you know, I, I think for him, he wants to kind of redefine what higher education looks like for a lot of students, right? Students should sacrifice far less for the sake of getting into college and do much more to thrive within and beyond it. And these are three ways that David believes that you can thrive. Um, so don't forget to subscribe and follow us on your podcast app or our new website, www.thehallpasspodcast.com. I'll go ahead and also link this article in there so that you guys can see it. If you missed any of our episodes, you can find it on iTunes or on our website. And we want to thank our sponsors, the Admission Masters, one more time. For those of you who want to learn more about these and cultivate these three things of success you know, throughout high school, come join our family at the Admission Masters. Uh, thank you for tuning in on Season 4, Episode 8. Again, we would love for you to send us an email of general topics and questions you might want us to cover in our podcast at thehallpasspodcast at gmail.com. All right, everyone. Till next time. Bye. Bye. See ya. Yeah.